how quickly doth the time fly. It seemed but yesterday we were releasing episode 8, but a fortnight has already passed and the time has come for the release of episode 9. Hi listeners, welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, Way of Kings. Things are getting pretty exciting. Uh, we are celebrating one year of recording our podcast. <laughs> Not one year of releasing it as, you know, evidenced by the fact that this is only episode nine, but Emily and I have been trying to get through the way of kinks for a full year now. How exciting is that? And it gets even more exciting. I have a little bit of a break between the job I just finished and the next one I've got lined up. So I, Emily has not agreed to this, but I am hoping to really like push through strong and finish out the way of Kings by Christmas. I just, I think we could do it. I really think we can. Amazingly enough, even though this is labeled as episode nine, if you count our episode zero baseline that we released first, this is technically episode 10 that's been turned into a nine. Oh my land, even the numbers line up in real life. So take a turn with me back in time to covering episode nine, chapters 22, 23, 24. Oh, I'm having so much fun doing this. Take it away, theme song. everyone welcome back it has been a minute (laughs) well for our lovely listeners hopefully we're keeping a good update schedule but as for our record schedule uh it's been probably oh wait it's been three weeks since we spoke to me (laughs) anyway (laughs) uh because emily how did your review of your manuscript go so good i turned in the next 100 pages and I adore my writing group. They always have amazing feedback, like really good feedback, not just like, eh, it was good or eh, I didn't like it, but more like, hey, this motivation doesn't make sense. Why are they just doing this? We need more reasons for this to happen or like I, you know, it's always nice to hear when people like your stuff. So I think I did a pretty good job. I'm very, very happy about that. Listen, I've been in, I've been in writing groups before where like someone turned in a story that was set in a forest and the other person just like ripped it apart and was so mean about it. And later we were like, that was, that was a little too far. And they're like, well, I just don't like the outdoors. I don't like camping or whatever. (laughs) And we're just like, that's not constructive criticism. (laughs) My least fun experience in a writing group was when two of the other writers, they didn't bring in pages of their project they brought in a bunch of role play they had written between their characters and Jack Sparrow. And it was fun and stuff, but it it wasn't why we had our writer's group. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, so guys, if you don't feel like you're getting enough out of your writer's group, go find somebody. Go find a new person. You deserve that. Mm-hmm. Also, 
the other reason why we haven't recorded in a while is me. <laughs> uh, I'm she back in California. <laughs> yeah, I'm back in California, and I was actually storyboarding. I have two freelance jobs that are overlapping each other by like 10 days. <laughs> and, I mean, which is good because, you know, storyboarding usually starts low intensity and then just gets more hour intensity the closer you get to turning in the finish. So, like, the easiest parts and the hardest parts are overlapping a little bit, but <laughs> both the projects are really cool. They're super different. And I'm excited to talk about them in three years. Just kidding. It'll probably be like two years. Uh, but we are back with Way of Kings. Not only that, we are back with our, is this our 10th episode? I know. Very close. We're Very like close. episode nine. Maybe. Don't, guys, don't quote me on this. I haven't edited stuff for a while. I don't remember. Because we're trying to get a nice backlog. So when we do have gaps where we can't either of us record for three weeks, it'll be okay. But we're here now. We're recording now. Uh, <laughs> so we are back into... The Stormlight Archives, The Way of Kings. Dun, dun, dun. Chapters 22, 23, and 24. Eyes, hands, or spheres, many uses, and the gallery of maps. And now that I'm back, I have my own, uh, well, they're all my own copies, um, but I have a very particular copy of My Way of Kings that has a very particular crack in the spine <laughs> but we're not going to get to where the spine is cracked for, like, two episodes, and I'm sad. <laughs> Although my fancy leather-bound copy is coming in the mail in, like, six months. We got a great update. Uh, the The Kickstarter campaign for the leather-bound copy of The Way of Kings has been very thorough and wonderful in their updates. And they, they talked about shipping stuff in their email today. So I won't get mine for a while because they sold out of all their books in like 10 minutes and I was doing something <laughs> that day. So I'm um, I'm on the second round of books that are going to get shipped out. Okay, sorry. Let's dive into the book itself. Emily, uh, initial thoughts and reactions. You have a new character you're meeting this week. I do, and I have so many thoughts about this. Like, my thoughts are just going in every direction about Navani. Uh -huh. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Navani. So in Chapter 22, guys, we meet a new character, and... Should we meet her in context? Should we start going through it in order? Let's, let's go through context, because once we get to her and talk about her a little bit, I have a lot of things to talk about mm -hmm. so but just your initial impressions positive neutral or negative between positive and neutral with some intrigue intrigueness in the middle i thought you were gonna say between positive and negative and i'm like that's why i included neutral um okay so i mean i feel things about her neutrals anyway keep going we'll talk about her i'm excited uh, first, let's read the little epigraph in front of the chapter. In case you have turned a blind eye to that disaster, know that Aona and Skye are both dead, and that which they held has been splintered, presumably to prevent anyone from rising up to challenge Rays. So, first, first question is, splintered, are those the shards <laughs> that later became swords? I'm using my big brain here. You are using a huge big brain. You guys, I'm laughing because splinter is a different thing I laugh over sometimes. <gasps> we can't talk about it, though. I know. I'm very excited, but we can't, though. Me too. Um, 
Um, that which they held has been splintered. I so my guess was that that those are the shards that later became the swords. Um, presumably to prevent anyone from rising up to challenge Rays. So it seems like Aeona Sky and Rays were all on the same side, and I don't know what side the narrator is on. <laughs> I, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I'm intrigued. My my next big brain guess is that eventually they are going to have to unite all the shards somehow. I don't know if that's symbolically or like literally. Unite them. <laughs> uh, so. Remind me again which Cosmere books you've read. I have read Mistborn and Elantris and half of Warbreaker. Okay. Uh it's been so long since we recorded, I can't remember. Did I tell you I was going to give you big Umbrella Cosmere information? Or did no. I decide not to? I think you decided not to. We talked about Hoyd. I mean, that you told me who he was. <laughs> I, okay. Okay. Uh, all I'm going to say is, if you had recently read some other Cosmere books... You may have been able to context clue at least one of the names dropped in here. Dang it. I'm going to have to go back one day and reread all of that. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so Dalinar uh, is going to a feast. Yes. And this is a couple days after his visions where a lot of people saw what happens to him during his visions. Um, and they're going to a feasting basin. And I was like, okay, they're in the middle of nowhere. Like, maybe it's just like this craggy rock that they just call a basin. That's not it. Mm -mm. That's not what it is. Mm -mm. Um, So the soul casters are in charge of this. and They're basically earthbenders. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, So it says, The feast basin had been flooded, turning it into a shallow artificial lake. Circular dining platforms rose like cat. Oh no, sorry, I skipped somewhere else. Wow, circular dining platforms rose like small stone islands in the water. The elaborate miniature landscape had been fabricated by the king's soulcasters, who had diverted the water from a nearby stream. And it talks about there's five islands. There's railings. All they're all they're all connected by like this fancy fancy scroll work bridge. They're OSHA um, compliant. <laughs> <laughs> the safety Unlike rails. The Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. It talks about how the the scroll work is so fine that it has to be put away in between use, like sped no expense sort of a thing. <laughs> and it's just like it's beautiful. Like they have infused gemstones floating in the water on these little boats. Like it's a fairy tale setting in the middle of war. It's just a very odd, a very odd scene, I guess. Like, if Kaladin came across this, he would be fully justified in hating the Light Eyes even more because they're partying during a war. To quote Haruhi from Oran High School Host Club, Damn these rich people. (laughs) Dalinar says it reminds him of places he's visited before, in the western region of Roshar, Sila Talis. Can you imagine what's unique about the spelling of Sila Talis? <gasps> is it a, it's a palindrome. It is a palindrome. 
Oh, that's so cool. Okay, really fast tangent. Our dad. Um, yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. So it's January of 2021, and there's a week where all the dates are the same forwards and backwards. And he Marco Poloed our nieces to tell him about it because it's really cool. And our one of our nieces answered back, and she's like, I already learned about that at school this week. <laughs> <laughs> a man, a plan, a canal. Panama. That's the longest palindrome I know. I think you've said that before. I, I replied on the Marco Polo group chat to Dad. Oh, <laughs> that's where I heard it. Smaller ones include Yo Banana Boy and Taco Cat. <laughs> and as to your comment about this beauty in the middle of a war, Dalinar is kind of side-eyeing how the men especially are dressed. Because the codes of war state that you must always be ready for war. That's why Dalinar has taken to wearing his uniform all the time. And like ordering his men and his sons to wear their uniforms all the time. And everyone here is dressed in the latest fashions. You know, tight uh, tight waist length jackets, loose silk shirts, ruffled cuffs, matching slippers. The rich materials glistened in the lamplight. Let Adolin wear a frilly shirt. <laughs> and drink... Something besides blue and orange. Oh, yeah. So the the strength of the alcohol content in their wine is on a color spectrum. So the cooler colors, green, blue, purple, are more potent. And then going down the Roy G. Biv, I guess it's backwards. <laughs> so Vib G. Your. Okay. Um... <laughs> Not a palindrome. <laughs> Not a palindrome. Uh, orange, yellow, red. Like, red is pretty much just fruit juice. Um, so they get one cup of blue. Not even the most potent. They get one cup of blue, and then they have to stick to orange. And Adelaide is a little bit like, oh, Dad, just can we just... one time. <laughs> and Dalin was like, follow the so long as you're in my house Adolin. just kidding he says it calmer than that he's like so long as you're in my house Adolin, you'll stick to the coats as long as you're under my roof no party as long as you're my son <laughs> as they're approaching the basin Adolin's like yeah i looked into this strap and downer's like me too it's inconclusive <laughs> Dalinar's like, I'll talk to Elokar, and I told him we've run into a wall and see if there's any avenues he wants us to pursue. Like, they've taken this quite literally as far as they can go without any more concrete proof. They cannot go to the king and say yes or no, because it's so, like, it's just maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. And again, if this was on purpose, kudos to the would-be murderer. You did a good job. The attempted, attempted murder. <laughs> <laughs> um but the uh the feast platforms are gender segregated as is a lot of things in a lethe culture and the food is also gender segregated yeah dalinar mentions at one point then when he was younger he tried women's food and found it too sweet and that's just a like a really interesting this culture that brandon sanderson has created it's just really cool because he's taken something and stretched it like gone beyond like taking it a step further which just makes it really really interesting i know 
there can be some some stories where you're just like, okay, we get it about the culture. It's different. It's blah, 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 blah. But I like how Brandon said it. Are you drinking yogurt? No, I am drinking a milkshake. I figured I'd get a very quiet podcast snack. <laughs> so, well, okay, it's not a milkshake. It is vanilla ice cream and ginger ale with a little bit of lime. It's a fancy float. It's good! I fancy. You eat the weirdest stuff. Ginger and lime is a perfectly reasonable dessert combination. Okay, okay. I guess I guess I'm thinking like if you took ginger and lime and put cream in it, you could make something good. That okay. I take it back. I'm that's, sorry. That's literally what has happened here. I got ginger and lime and cream and sugar, and I made something pretty good. Sorry. You only like basic things like vanilla meat. Make something fancy. You only eat weird things. <laughs> You can't win, Megan. Oh, I Rude. don't remember what I was talking about. Um, oh, he ate. Okay, I do remember what I was talking about. Um, Brandon Sanderson has done a really good job at placing the information without info dumping, rather than getting all the information about all the ways that the society is split, rather than getting that all in one chapter and having to remember that. He has done a really good job of like... Oh, they eat different things. Oh, they do different things. Oh, they, you know. You know, I seem to remember. No. I seem to remember you complaining at an episode near the beginning um, about how the exposition was so slow or like the information was coming across so slowly (laughs) and you're like, oh, there's this thing happening and like nobody's thought to mention it yet. Oh, wait, I know what it was. It was Elokar's wife. It's Elokar's wife. (laughs) He's married. When were we supposed to know that? Was someone just, who was going to tell me that? Was I just supposed to figure it out on my own? (laughs) You know, him and Dalinar uh, sitting on top of the rock, talking intently about Gavilar's brother. <laughs> Why wouldn't Elokar just say, oh yes, and my wife to whom I am married says the same thing. It's For it's, X it's, amount of years. <laughs> I remember it like it was our wedding day, and this was her outfit, and this was my, you know, I, uh, I, I'm glad that you appreciate the rate at which the information rolls out. But, um, oh, I would like to add, listen, I know you have you watch for all these little things, you know, palindromes, 10 turning into nine, all this stuff. I'd like to add chicken watch to the list. Chicken watch. We have a chicken sighting in here. Um, Dalinar could smell roasted pork on the air and even chickens. It had been a long time since he'd been served meat from one of the strange shin flying creatures. I... Love that. It made it feel a little sci-fi, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, really fast. Sorry. Can I go on a brief tangent? Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask, do you think Seth likes eating chicken? <laughs> I do. That's going to be my next guess for the future. Okay. Um, someone was on the internet. I'm so sorry. I can't remember where I read this, but someone was talking about how a lot of people complained that people in the past didn't write things down. Where... Like, this about eggs? Fire. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
like Greek fire, like no one wrote down the recipe or all of these other things that we have had to experiment on and try and figure out on our own in our modern day. And someone likened it to when we bake and a, and a recipe calls for eggs, we automatically know it's chicken eggs. So we don't write down chicken eggs. And someone's like, just think of like in the far off future where someone finds all these recipes and it asks for eggs and people are going, duck eggs, ostrich eggs, you know, platypus eggs. Like, how are we supposed to know if they didn't write it down? So I thought that was funny. Chicken watch part one. Um, So the, the king is at his own table with his high princess with him. And before you get to talk to the king, you get to talk to wit on a big tall stool (laughs) that he's sitting there and just insulting everyone directly to their faces roast chicken (laughs) (laughs) and it's not it's not subtle either it's very direct about like oh so and so you remind me of someone that i really love oh really who is it my horse like <laughs> just he's like not very nice about straight it. up being mean brightness miracle what a disaster that hairstyle is how brave of you to show it to the world bright lord miracle i wish you'd warned us you were going to attend i'd have foregone supper i do so hate being sick after a full meal rude rude and i just i'm intrigued to, to hear more about what other people think of wit because we don't really get to see other people's reactions it's mostly just Dalinar mm-hmm. um and so I'm intrigued as time goes on because we talked about that you can assassinate the wit it's legal it's not like I mean it's sort of frowned upon but it's definitely doable and I'm just intrigued to see what's going to happen uh wit ironically is dressed properly he's got a stiff black uniform fancy black <laughs> Fancy black. He's carrying a <laughs> silver sword. So so Dalinar's watching Wit insult everyone. And he's like, Wit, do you have to? And then Wit drops the chapter title, which I thought when I first got to this chapter, I'm like, eyes, hands, or spheres. Ooh, what an intriguing title. So it's, Wit, do you have to? To what, Dalinar? Wit said, eyes twinkling. Eyes, hands, or spheres? I'd lend you one of the first, but by definition, a man can only have one, and if it is given away, who would be wit then? I'd lend you one of the second, but I fear my simple hands have been digging in the muck far too often to suit one such as you. And if I gave you one of my spheres, where would I spend the remaining one on? I'm quite attached to both my spheres, you see. He hesitated. Or, well, you can't see. Do you want me to show you? Raucous. <laughs> He's and, breaking uh, the Horner Pact. <laughs> <laughs> and Dalinar's just like, okay, dude, come on. He and Wit's just like, well, these guys just bring out my baser, you know, my baser instincts. And anyways, I feel like I feel like he he thinks that that's the only way he can get anything across quickly because <laughs> these people aren't going to stand around and talk to him and be insulted um elizabeth bennett style very subtly he's gonna like drive it home as quickly as possible but he's serious for a moment and he warns dalinar that there are rumors milling about oh yes and so wit 
specifically mentions, he says, did you really speak of abandoning the vengeance pact? Dalinar took a deep breath. That was between me and the king. And Wit tells him, well, he, he must have said it to other people because people are talking about it. And that was something that I, correct me if I'm wrong, Dalinar spoke to the king about that in private. You are correct. And Elicar has been blabbing it out to everybody and i'm just like <laughs> dude i just wanted to like shake him Ugh. oh yeah flashback to the first episode i like elokar <laughs> <laughs> that's you I... that's how dumb you sound <laughs> <laughs> oh man um Quick question about Wit. Has it mentioned if he is dark-eyed or light-eyed? No. Okay. My other question is... Where's my... I wrote it well, down. I, uh, I feel like he is because Dalinar's like, he's dressed as a light-eyes should be dressed. I it. think that indicates that Wit is light-eyed. Light-eyed. Um, my other question is, is the whip sword symbolic or can he use it to physically defend himself? I know it, I know it stands for him having a sharp wit, but I just, I'm intrigued. That's one thing I'm, I'm intrigued to find out is if someone does try to assassinate him, if he can actually use it or if it's merely for show. The king thought he hired a sharp wit, but really he got one who sang things ever so slightly off key. <laughs> Get it? He was... <laughs> I get it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And this is why Wit has to be so direct with his insults. <laughs> Megan! That's so mean. So Don't mean. you love me? <laughs> I do. I do. I was going to say, uh, Wit, you know, goes on his, his diatribe of just insulting absolutely everybody. Uh, you know, calling them by name and then calling them out. And then he ends with, ah, and is that Lady Navani behind you? How long have you been back on the plains, and how did I not notice the smell? And Dalinar goes, what? Freaks out (laughs) internally. (laughs) So, readers, if you've read this, when Wit says Lady Navani, Navani is italicized, like he's really heavily emphasizing duh that's what italics do but i am just wondering if how much he knows of the whole thing that we're going to get into because i wonder if that was a a tip off to Dalinar, like oh it's lady navani and she's here does wit ship it we'll find out (laughs) (laughs) oh man um (laughs) He's a Navalinar shipper. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dalinar does freak out. And we're obviously at the beginning of a really good story plot. I'm hoping that he takes her in and we can tell it. And she's beautiful. She's a very beautiful woman. And Dalinar is admiring this beauty and then reins himself in, calling himself fool, he thought, tearing his eyes away from her. Your brother's widow. With Gavilar dead, Navani was now to be treated as Dalinar's sister. Okay, listen to this. Besides, what if his own wife, dead these ten years, wiped by his foolishness from his mind? His foolishness. Something happened, and he did it 
and he's responsible from what I'm gathering it's on him that he can't remember his wife forget the magical intrigue let's talk more about Navani and Wit being funny together (laughs) (laughs) sorry in in context we, we will get back to that that is fun that is important but I always get a laugh over the fact that it's almost a whole page of the book that Navani and Wit are, are firing barbs back and forth. Dalinar is just watching them do it. So he's just standing there saying nothing. And then Navani just looks at him and he turns around and just hurries to his spot because it's on the men's island and Navani can't follow him there. <laughs> And as long as he's eating, it's a breach of etiquette for her to also approach him. So he's like doubly insulated. He's trying to put as much distance between her and him, like physically and like socially. Don't talk to me. I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and and Emily, like you said, he's thinking over, oh man, how wrong it is to like his brother's wife and how he can't even remember his own wife. His fault. Man, I wonder. I wonder what happened. I do too. Do you think? Do you think the book will ever cover it? You know, with so few pages left, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're on page four hundred. Out of hold on, I'm gonna look. This book alone has twelve hundred and fifty-two pages. <laughs> We're a third of the way through the book. Amazing amazing um no one else comes to sit near dalinar uh he's he's at the king's table so only like high princes sorry only high princes and people with the king's specific invitation could come uh no one comes to talk to him no one comes to sit by him uh so he is taking in kind of more stuff that's happening around the feast because the boys do their duels and the girls do their own particular duel so like men are are literally dueling with swords girls are having art competitions and art like, off yeah they're they're doing speed paints <laughs> <laughs> um and navani is sort of taking part in this she flexes by pulling out um a, a new fabriel says it, it looked vaguely crustacean and we recall earlier on that navani is a is an inventor and she, was she the one that invented the one to keep wine cold? She invented I something. I think so. She invented a lot of things. But I think you're right. I think they mentioned uh, one of her works in particular was a Fabriel to cool wine. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking at, he's looking at this thing and he says, perhaps this device was, and then breaks off because he realizes that she is looking at him and he's like, ah. <laughs> Across a crowded room. <laughs> and so um, he he turns back to his food. And this is when his son, Adolin, comes back. And he's like, basically like, they're all talking about you. Please let me fight them. Please, please, please. They're saying you want to abandon the vengeance pact. Let me. So, you know, oh, everybody knows about it. Yeah. Dumb Elokar. Dumb, dumb man. So, um, so Adolin is just furious that one, people are talking smack about his dad and his family, but he's also blown away that his dad would have brought up the idea of leaving the Vengeance Pact 
and he they they start having they start having a heart to heart but this isn't the time or the place for it because Adolin finally comes in and says listen what if you're just getting old and he brings it up and i really liked this moment because a lot of times in in film or literature when you need to have a hard conversation like this someone gets uber defensive and it turns into a screaming match and you never get to you never get to the end of the the issue and it's always left hanging because you have to you have to ratchet up the drama i get it i get it but i really liked this cuz it turned that on its head where they're starting to have a they're having a heart to heart and they're honest with each other and you just don't see that very often in literature this also could be an opportunity for a misunderstanding where Adolin's like, I can't believe you just want to abandon, kind of like how Elokar blew up at, at Dalinar being like, I can't believe you want to abandon the Vengeance Pact. And, and Adolin's like, is this what you were talking about with the king? And he gives Dalinar the space to explain that, listen, I don't want to abandon it and leave. I want to, I want to win the war and go home. I want to unite everyone as a centralized force strike and take our enemies out one final time and then leave instead of this extended siege. And so Dalinar explains to him that this is about winning the war. It's not about running away. It's not about being tired. It's, um, he says, no more scuffling over gem hearts, no more patient indefinite siege. We find a way to lure a large number of Parshendi onto the plains and then execute an ambush. If we can kill a large enough number of them, we destroy their capacity to wage war. Failing that, we find a way to strike at their center and kill or capture their leaders. Even a chasm fiend stops fighting when it's been decapitated. The vengeance pact would be fulfilled and we could go home. And so, you know, he's he takes the time to explain to his son his actions. And I just was very impressed with this, this passage because, like I said, usually it's an opportunity for misunderstanding and further hijinks. But Dalinar's like, I've thought this through. I'm not being hasty or rash this is a way that we can fulfill our vengeance pact just in a different way than any everyone's been planning on also relatable parent-child moment when dalinar's like have i told you the story about the king and the boulder <laughs> and adolin's like yes twice and you had me read it again i did like that that was pretty funny <laughs> anyway i just i'm a, i'm i love i love the colins mm-hmm Okay, rephrase. I love 85% of the Colins. Dalinar, Adolin, Renar, and Yasna, and looks at smudged writing on hand. Elk. Heart. I don't care for Job. (laughs) I don't care for Elkar. Sorry, listeners. I'm putting my thumb fully on the scale. I don't care for Elkar. See, I would have fought you. At the beginning, but now I'm becoming more in that camp. And I stayed quiet. <laughs> I waited Thank you until for letting now. me make my own mistakes. Um, so this is when Navani shows up. And Adolin's like, at Navani? <laughs> it's, like, it's like the the their conversations ending and stuff. And Adolin's, you know, like, yeah, I guess I'll be good. Is that at Navani? <laughs> um. So the, the ex-queen is not probably the right word for her, but she's... Dowager queen. Dowager queen. That's what it is. 
Um, Thank you, Rui, and- for giving me the vocabulary for this. <laughs> and Dalinar realizes he's eaten all his food and he has no more social excuse not to talk to her. And he's real upset about this. D- Dalinar, buddy, <laughs> it's okay to talk to girls. <laughs> I guess it's been a while and he forgot. Yeah. Uh, she knows how nervous he is, though. She's like... Am I that much of a threat, Talonar? And he realizes he's gripping his table knife, like, super hard. (laughs) Compose yourself, he thought. She's just family. Every time he spoke with Navani, he felt as if he were facing a predator of the most dangerous breed. Okay. Talonar, women are people too. Also, (laughs) maybe you should drink just a little bit. Calm your nerves. Oh, and so, you know, we've we've heard her speak a little bit. We know how nervous Dalinar is, but here we get a really good idea of who she is because she gestures for a serving girl to bring her a stool and points it, points that she wants it near the king's table. And even the servant girl hesitates for a minute. And then she points again more forcefully, and so the girl puts it down, and she sits near enough the king's table that she's not considered at the table, but close enough that it is um, challenging royal protocol. But no one is going to tell this woman, you can't do that. Because one did not reprove Navana Colin, not even if one were king. And so... This is what I'm like, ooh, what are we getting into? Sit down, Dalinar, she said, voice growing testy. We have matters of some moment to discuss. And this next scene, I just, ooh, I love it because, again, a lot of fantasy stories I've read in the past, yes, men and women have their own roles, but here I really liked it that she is bringing very valuable information. Um, you know, she's telling them that there's another race that thinks that they can, what is it? They've perfected their half shards, as they call them. They're claiming the shields can stop blows from a shard blade, which is a huge blow because, you know, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And so as she's coming and bringing all this really good information, I'm getting more and more excited because I'm just getting excited. That's all. I'm just really excited to read more about her. Um, but Delinar is just still like, why is she here? She's She starts talking about, oh, yes, leaving here, the, the heart of the war camp, she says, was a big political mistake. And uh, they start talking about Elokar and how he sees assassins around every corner. And she straight out comes out and says, he's not very good at this, is he? And Delinar immediately is like, excuse me, Elikar is a good man. And he is like, I will defend this boy to my dying breath. He is the best king we currently have. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and she's like, listen, his rule is weak, Navani said, you must admit that. And so here's the thing. Every time I think I have a handle on her, even though she's only been present for like six pages, she keeps jumping into different camps, I guess, in my head where, oh, it's the queen. She's going to be revered and it's going to be very dignified to 
she's going to match wits with the wit. You know, she's not your average, quote unquote, dowager, retired royalty. What is that face you're making? (laughs) I'm thinking about that one song from Gallivant that we always skip because we hate um, Madalena. No, uh, Isabella's hypnosis storyline. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm a different kind of princess. Tune in when we finally rope a third sister into doing a gallivant special. Yes. We're very excited about it. It's going to be great. So she, every time I think she's been presented as her full character, they add more things to she's an inventor and she's a political player and she isn't going to play by 100% by the rules, but enough that people aren't going to say anything about it. But clearly she's still pushing the envelope to, yeah, my son is not a great king. (laughs) That's why I'm here. Wow, interesting. It's almost as if one of the themes of this book (laughs) is about the continuous revelation of new information that changes your perspective on the world and society. Hmm, isn't that (laughs) fascinating? (laughs) I wouldn't say theme. I would say facet. No, I would say theme. I'm going to strongly say theme. I like it. So she has is tr- she's turning into quickly my not favorite character because Yasna Kalin I think is my favorite character already, but a very intriguing character. Um, and we've already been talking for like forty five minutes, but just about Navani Kalin, <laughs> just about Navani <laughs> Kalin. Um, because at first I'm just like, yay, this is the mom of cool, you know, Yanala Kalin. But she's also the mom to Elicar, who's quickly not becoming, like, he's quickly falling in esteem in my eyes. And I'm wondering if she's responsible for the paranoid Elicar, or, like, if she's doing it on purpose to undermine his authority so that she can step in and become a voice of reason um, to play, basically, to play the political game. Um, And I don't, I don't trust her. Not in a way that I think she's evil, but I just need to remember that anything she says, I'm going to have to like think of like eight different things of what she could mean and why she could be doing this because I believe she's out for herself. I don't think she has the kingdom's best interest in mind. Um, I can see that you're scrolling through things through your glasses. Dang it! <laughs> I was... I don't. That's why I shouldn't wear glasses on a video call. <laughs> I just want to talk to you about the way of kings on Twitter. No, I wanted to let you have a space to share what you say because I over talk and I lead the conversation a lot on our podcast. I've Ooh. noticed. Oh, also, I'm addicted nice to Twitter. <laughs> um. Okay, so. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you all like that. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm a bad podcaster. No, Sorry, it's you... end of day. My brain's a little fried. Dalinar says she's beautiful. Beautiful and deadly. And I think that is a good, like, she is multifaceted. Um, and this particular thing, this kind of started me on my, ooh, do I like her? Do I not? says it had seemed a particular irony to him 
that his wife's face had been erased from his mind, yet he could remember in complete and intricate detail the months this woman had spent toying with him and Gavilar. She'd played them off one another, fanning their desire before finally choosing the elder son. They'd all known the entire time that she would choose Gavilar. It had hurt anyway. And just like, in my heart, I just went, no, no, you don't do that to people. You don't toy with their affections. I do think the halcyon bygone days of the youth of Dalinar Gavilar and Navani and Dalinar's nameless wife, I think they were all very different people as younglings than they are now. Mm-hmm. And... Okay. Go ahead. I'm, I'm uh, interested. I'm interested in continuing this. Man, I wonder if who we are in the past who defines us in the present. I hope not. Yeah, because, okay, listen. I get that. I get that we're all different as, as young people. But, like, in high school, I was always in the middle of all my friends' drama. Mm-hmm. I was always the one that people came to when they were having a hard time with somebody else. And I was glad I could be there for those people. But it's also a very difficult position to be in because you can't take sides, really. I mean, in your heart, I in my heart, I always took sides. But I'm like, I need to be here for my friends. I need to be here for everybody because she's not talking to him and he's mad at her and blah, blah, blah. And how do I, how do I articulate this? A lot of times I was put in the middle because... One friend in particular, um, there were two boys that she really liked, but her parents didn't approve of all the time she spent with one friend, one of the boys, and so she would have to trade off and quote-unquote date other people. We had a strange cultural rule in our community growing up that you couldn't date until you were 16, and then you could not seriously date someone until you were out of high school. And for some reason, the definition of seriously date meant you could not take the same person to two high school dances in a row. I don't know why that was like the cultural expression of this weird rule. rule. But yeah, it also caused a lot of drama in my friend group because (laughs) um, I always, well, no, I never got asked to dances except for the dance before prom I would always have a bunch of people ask me because they wanted to take the person they really liked to prom and had to take someone their parents just liked and approved of to the formal dance before it. It was it hurt my feelings a lot every time. Yeah. Um, and so to watch these two people, three people, where clearly she was always going to choose person A, clearly. But every time she went and would date quote-unquote person B – he would get so excited and so hopeful. And then when she would go back to person A, I was left to be the one that was like, I don't know why this is happening, even though very clearly everyone knew what was happening, you know? And it just sucked. It just was awful. And I don't know. That's going to be a lot of my my internal biases when it comes to to Navani, because Mm -hmm. just because of my own personal experiences. And like, that's something I grew up, swearing to myself I would never toy with people's affections if that ever was something that was going to come up in my life I was not going to do that because it's just horrible and listen you're different people in high school than you are as adults you learn good lessons 
as kids, just that is just something that always has stuck out in my mind of how unfair that was to everyone involved. So that was a huge tangent. I apologize, but those well, are my feelings. <laughs> get ready because we're about to we're going to tangent off of that tangent. I'm currently doing a rewatch of The Vampire Diaries as I'm <laughs> rewatching and listening along with the excellent podcast, The Empire Diaries, with Latoya Morgan and Jill. Um, and <laughs> The Vampire Diaries, their bread and butter plot wise, is the love triangle between the main girl and these vampire brothers. And everybody, there's particularly in season three, everyone's acting like. Okay, so there's a point where both the brothers have been pretty mean, and she's not fully aligned with either one. Uh, she has big crush on older brother Damon, but she before has dated younger brother Stefan, but Stefan killed some people. It wasn't a big deal, because this is the Vampire Diaries, and everyone kills some people, apparently. <laughs> but they have this conversation where he's like, do you like Damon? And she's like, yes, but I like you too. And he's like, well... You're going to have to figure out what to do with that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, both of you are being so mean to her. I bet if one of you was actually nice to her, dated her, and made her feel good about herself, that's who she would go with instead of both of you sulking and drinking brown liquor in the middle of the day and bemoaning that your lovely lady love doesn't like you. Anyway, <laughs> listen, <laughs> maybe we should cut that out, but uh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, Emily, something to keep in mind is that maybe Dalinar's memory, does he have all the facts right now? Because it sounds like there may be some particular holes. That's true. Uh. Or, or maybe he met his wife after all this is over. We'll just, we'll probably never know. Listen, also, because I'm so used to TV shows and books where you have to ratchet up the tension, and especially with stuff like, the Vampire Diaries or, you know, Shadowhunters <laughs> or whatever. Like, you've got to always keep it going. All of my notes go, is Elokar or Yasna one of Dalinar's kids? <laughs> I can't imagine that's going to happen, but I'm like, if this was the Vampire Diaries, we would find that out. I also hate storylines where significant others cheat on each other. I think that is the lowest form. It's just awful. I, anytime a character does that I instantly lose interest and I actually stop watching a lot of shows when that happens because you should love the person you're with and if you're not, have an honest conversation and figure out if something needs to change and I'm not going to go too much more into that Just <laughs> alright, so we're going to circle back from this relationship talk and <laughs> Uh, come back to Elicar being an absolute and utter pile of trash. <laughs> because during their private conversation, in which Dalinar's like, hey, I'm thinking some difficult things. Maybe you should make me High Prince of War. Elicar tells everybody about all the private things they talked about, and he does not make Dalinar High Prince of War. He declares another High Prince specialty. Emily, who gets promoted tonight at the feast? The worst person besides Elokar. Sadius. <laughs> and what is he now the High Prince of? He's now the High Prince of Information, which basically, he's the Spanish Inquisition now. 
I was just going to say, nobody expects the saddiest Inquisition. <laughs> Aw, sisters, same brain, even same brain. 800 miles apart. So many miles. Um, and and here's the thing, like, Dalinar's like, Elokar doesn't realize what he's just done. He's basically just announced he doesn't trust Dalinar to do this task of figuring out if he was the um, the target of a murder. But I'm going, I, I don't know if, if Elokar is really this oblivious or if he's really that brilliant. I'm, I'm so suspicious of, don't be suspicious. <laughs> don't be suspicious. I'm, I'm just wondering if Elokar's done this on purpose. If he did it, he figured it out himself. If Sadius is the one who did it. Or if his mom wrote to him and is like, you should do this. Um, just basically, uh, Jalinar's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty hosed. Because Sadius doesn't like him. And uh, Elokar actually suspects that he, that Dalinar might have had something to do with it because he's not finding any proof fast enough for Elokar. Anyways, we'll see. We'll see. He's, he just, he says, I've been outmaneuvered brilliantly. So, yeah. So, Dalinar is in trouble because Sadius is now going to be investigating and who knows, who knows what's going to happen. You and do, but I don't. Navani puts the pieces together instantly and she's like, Wow, he basically just publicly declared that he doesn't trust you. Do you still think he's doing a good job being king? <laughs> so that is the end of that chapter. So the next chapter is Many Uses. This is chapter 23. And this is Kaladin putting his plan into action. Um, the whole reason why they're, why he's volunteered them to go pick up rocks is so that they can collect these milkweed saps. What is knob it? sap. Knob, knob weed. Sap. Knob weed sap. Um, and they're not rare, but they are kind of difficult to find. But it turns out Sil can find them super fast. They're just, you know, a wild weed that grows. And so you go into a field and you're looking for a very particular type of weed. I mean, it's not cultivated in a deliberate way. It grows organically. Uh, so Sil can help find it. And she gets Rock to help her out because Rock can't see her. And she's taken to playing some tricks on him. But he's he treats her with such reverence and respect that, like, anytime she tries to play a trick on him, he's like, what can I learn from this? Like, what are you <laughs> trying to teach me? Man, talk about toying with someone's emotions. <laughs> <laughs> So they're being really, really sneaky and, like, collecting these weeds and, and like, putting them under this wagon because they're not just sent out. They're they're under guard as they're collecting all of these these things. Um, and they have Rock and Teft, is that his name? Yes. On, on his side, but nobody else is really happy about this at all. And Kaladin's like, ugh, I thought they were going to, I thought we were going to be, like, a team, you guys. I'm doing this. I'm doing all these good things. And people are just like... Wildcats. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, I don't know what their their rude gestures are in this culture, but they're basically flipping him off and no one likes him. Okay, listen, tangent. That makes me think. Okay, so uh, a lot of our nastier 
swear words and gestures have to do with sex, but a lot of their mean swear words have to do with storms. So like storm father, storms is basically their go-to cuss word. So does that mean that their rude gesture is uh, like, I'm holding up my hand and I'm wiggling the fingers and I'm doing like the symbol for rain. <laughs> the rain came down and the, <laughs> and the blood, blood came, came up. <laughs> That's their root gesture. <laughs> okay, Brandon, please let us know. I would like to know if they have the same root gestures as us or different ones. <laughs> you know, everyone's, everyone's like, given a callot in the cold shoulder, and he's like, ugh, you know, Syl, this could be so much easier. If I could tell everyone that, like, Gaz sent us on rock duty. And Syl is like, that wouldn't be very honest. And Kaladin's like, uh, and your point is? And why do you care so much? And she's like, I just do. And he's like, well, how honest were all the tricks you were playing on rock? Like, you're leading them over piles of dung. And she's like, that's different. It's a joke. And Kaladin's like, uh, I don't, I don't, I fail to see how different it is. This, this has been a thing with Syl, uh, like three times. Now this is like the three time, the third time she's talked about honesty or lies. Like we even had a chapter about it. Why do men lie? And that to the list of things to watch, I guess. So now we got palindromes, <laughs> nocturne, tenderly denied, chickens, and honesty. chicken watch, chicken watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so they have, they've come back to their their camp, and um. They need to go back to the wagon yard and get these reeds. And Teft is really, really nervous. And he's like, I'm I'm going to go. And Rock's like, nope, you're going to stay. And Teft's <laughs> like, I absolutely will not. And Kaladin just says, we need you. Need. That word had strange effects on men. Some ran when you used it. Others grew nervous. Teft seemed to long for it. So I just thought that was a really neat way that he uh, he's like getting to know these men on like a more emotional basis. It's still a little manipulative, but uh, I think it's going to be a, a thing for the long the long haul. So, but they go and they find it. He explains to them kind of what they're going to do. Like Sil has gone and found them some bottles. They're broken, so no one's going to want them. Earlier, they're like, "Well, what do we what do we do if someone catches us with catches us with these?" And Kaladin just says, oh, we'll just say we're going to weave them into a hat. And then he says, but we shouldn't let them know we want it because just us wanting it is reason enough for them to take it away. Again, driving home the fact that they're bridgemen and they're the lowest on the totem pole. They can go no lower. These boys are sitting around squeezing sap out of reeds. Kaladin explains a little bit about what antiseptic means and Teft is like excuse me and Kaladin's like it scares away rats Bren. I like that he's a natural teacher like he's not like because he knows obviously these men don't know what it is I mean Meg you and I have grown up in a culture in a world in a home where we're just like oh yeah antiseptic stuff oh neosporin oh all of these things like but someone had to teach that to us like we wouldn't know this if no one taught it to us and I like that Kaladin doesn't lord his knowledge over people. 
And Tept asks Kaladin, why do you care about them? And he says, they're my men. That's not what being bridge leader means. It means whatever we decide, Kaladin said. You, me, the others. You'll think they'll let you do that, Teft asks. The light eyes and the captains. You think they'll pay enough attention to even notice? <sighs> Help my bridge for friends. Um, we learn more about Rock and how yeah, he came do. to this place. His people do not have shard blades or shard swords. Um, so they came down to win it. Everyone knows, quote unquote, it just seems like this is a rule. Everyone knows that if you defeat a shard bearer, you get their stuff. And so that's what Rock's people came down to do, except they lost. And so that's why he's here. And he's just like, one day we'll get one. Like, he's very optimistic. He's like, yeah, it wasn't, well, not now, but one day we'll have one. And, and they're like, well, the Aleppi have like dozens one is a beginning, Rock said, shrugging. <laughs> I just like him. We find a little bit more about life up on the peaks. He wasn't a slave or a servant. It seems that, like, the servants of their leader or their Nuatoma are their family. Like, um, your role in society is predetermined by your birth, in a much more specific way than you're a noble, you're a middle class, you're a peasant sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he, he mentioned something about lowlanders, you have too much air here. It makes your mind sick. And Kaladin's like, too much air? Yes. How can you have too much air? It's all around. This thing, it is difficult to explain because rock, uh, isn't an, uh, a natural Alethi speaker. So he's like, you don't have words for altitude. How do I explain this? <laughs> Airsick lowlanders. Um, we see more of Kaladin's biases, biases towards light eyes. He does not mince words. I wouldn't say this is a bias. I would say this is a well-earned resentment. That's true. Kaladin's talking to, to Rock and he's saying, well, he's lucky he didn't win. He's lucky he got basically killed because uh, lucky he didn't win, Kaladin said, and discover how he'd been tricked. They wouldn't have let him walk away with Sadius's plate. Nonsense, Teft broke in. Tradition. Tradition is the blind witness they use to condemn us, Teft, Kaladin said. It's the pretty box they use to wrap up their lies. It makes us serve them. Tef's just like, no, if a common man kills an sh- enemy shard bearer, he'd become a light eyes. That's the way of it. And this is my new theory. Are you ready? I've got a theory. Yes. My theory is that that's what Kaladin did, and they didn't let him keep the stuff, and he didn't become a light eyes. We don't know what happened in the battle where everybody died. We don't know what happened. I think he's so salty about it because that's what everyone so firmly believes. Like when he's a kid, and his friend is like, my dad almost did it, you know, and and everyone's just like, oh, yeah, this is what happens. I think Kaladin's seen firsthand that this is a lie that they're using to keep everybody, like, you know, wrapped up in. We find out what the name Horn Eater means. Why do they call your people that anyway, Kaladin asks. Because they eat the horns and shells of the things they catch, Teth said, the outsides. Rock smiled with a look of longing. Ah, but the taste is so good. Kaladin's like, you really do this? We have very strong teeth, Rock said proudly. (laughs) 
like me. I, I, Emily, do you chew your ice? I do. I'm an ice chewer. I, I bite like to chew ice. popcorn kernels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got red hair. Maybe there's some horn eater in us. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, Rock's specific role in his Nuatoma's retinue is he was the cook. So when his Nuatoma was killed by Sadius, Rock got hired to be in Sadius's kitchens. And Emily, how did he get from the kitchens to Bridge Four? He pulled a little trick that we also find in The Help. He put choldung in every single meal, every single piece of food that he made for Sadius. Every single one. Wait, Teft said. You put choldung in High Prince Sadius' soup? Uh, yes, Rock said. Actually, I put this thing in his bread, too. And used it as a garnish on the pork steak. And made a chutney out of it for the buttered garams. Choldung has many uses, I found. <laughs> oh, Rock. Surprised they didn't kill you. <laughs> but I mean, listen. What was Sadius is expecting? He killed this dude. Maybe he just thought that Rock would be grateful that he got to serve the high and mighty Prince Sadius. I don't know. But like, I kind of feel like that's on Sadius a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read kind of a bigger chunk um, because this may have pieces to your new theory. They're, they're kind of like Kaladin, you know, what, what sent you here? And, and it, it doesn't sound like he's going to talk about it at first, but I killed a man, Kaladin said. That quieted Teft. Rock perked up. Sill, Kaladin noticed, was still watching with interest. That was odd for her. Normally, her attention wavered quickly. You killed a man, Rock said. And after this thing, they made you a slave? Is not the punishment for murder usually death? It wasn't murder, Kaladin said softly, thinking of the scraggly bearded man in the slave wagon who had asked him these same questions. In fact, I was thanked for it by someone very important. He fell silent. And, Teft finally asked. And, Kaladin said, looking down at a reed. Noman was settling in the west, and the green small disk of Mishim, the final moon, was rising in the east. And it turns out that light eyes don't react very well when you turn down their gifts. Mm. And the mystery continues. Uh, it's funny that Kaladin mentions that guy back at the beginning. Um, I, I think it's interesting. The little bits and pieces of the more and more and more we learn as the story gets through. So, Meg, do you know this about Brandon Sanderson's writing? Does he... I feel like, because like if I were writing this, I feel like I would come up with these things and then have to go back and put them in. But do you know if Brandon Sanderson just like writes all the way through and then goes back? Or mm-hmm. like, is, does he write and polish and then go on and then write and polish and then never look back? He outlines, uh, and this is very interesting, you can, on his website, he'll usually have a little progress bar showing like where he is on his process in each of his books. Uh, he is an outliner, you know, because he, he is pretty much uh, patient zero when it comes to world builder's disease. Um, <laughs> but he splits each of these books up like a trilogy. So he'll write the first third of the book first and send that chunk of it on to his editor while he writes the middle third. And then he'll send that on while he goes to the third third. Um, and then he'll go through 
and connect things up. He also has a lot of uh, beta readers, one of which I know, shout out to Donald Mustard the Third, who's on the USS Horizons with me. Hi, Donald, you're awesome. Uh, he has a lot of beta readers that give him feedback on these like huge things, and he has assistants that are specifically in charge of like keeping track of math and logistics of the Rosharan world and stuff. So basically, to answer your question, <laughs> he plans it all out very well. He writes it in like very specific small chunks, and then he goes back through to like do an extra polish and sprinkle stuff in. That's very cool. Um, real quick before we move on to the next chapter, I wrote, why are they harvesting stone when soul casters can create things out of stone? Let the record show that Megan just shrugged the most sarcastic shrug. Like, I'm just wondering, is it a way to keep like the, the Bridgman's energy like focused or whatever so that they don't have time to riot? I think it's that. I really think it's menial, repetitive, nasty jobs to quash the Bridgman. Because you don't need Bridgman to run the bridge. You can have mechanical or chill-drawn bridges like Dalinar's army or the other armies. Like, we found out that only Sadius uses Bridgman to this extent. Mm -hmm. The other High Princes don't. And so everything is uh, nasty torture. Uh... It's it's tradition. It's the what does Teft call it? This is the way. No. <laughs> what does Kaladin say to Teft about tradition? You quoted it. What was it? I don't <laughs> I'm looking know. through it. Oh, okay. Oh. It's the pretty box they use to wrap up their lives. It makes us serve them. Ugh. Ugh. Let's move on to the gallery of maps. Perfect. Listen. Oh wait. I before have we do. To... Oh, go ahead. Before we do, I forgot the epigraph before many uses. Ahem. You have accused me of arrogance in my quest. You have accused me of perpetuating my grudge against Reyes and Bavadin. Both accusations are true. <gasps> and then oh. the one in front of Gallery of Maps is, Neither point makes the things I have written to you here untrue. I'm intrigued to find this out. And I'm wondering if this is happening, like, if this letter is being written as the story goes on, or if this is, like, someone telling the story later and saying, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. So, mm -hmm. um, I need to confess something to you. Did you forget to read the chapter? No, I read the chapter. Okay. <laughs> but that's a good, that's a good thing to ask. Um, when it said the gallery of maps, my brain automatically started tuning out because I'm like, I hate maps. <laughs> <Emily>! <laughs> But then I tuned back in. I read the chapter. <laughs> it's literally the maps that are in the book too. You can read like the little, uh, the little details on the bottom of uh, a lot of the art that we see in the book. Isn't just like, oh, this is random information. We need to present the readers. Every piece of. I guess, worldly artifact we see in here is something that actually exists within the world of the Way of Kings. So the map we're looking at of the uh, Shattered Plains isn't just a random factual drawing. It's supposed to be, oh, this is an actual map that someone in this world drew 
and we've got a replication of it here. I'm very excited for other books when when things beyond maps get added into the book. There we go. I tried not to I don't want to get too specific because I want you to be pleasantly surprised by all the cool stuff that gets included down the road. It's Dalinar. It's Dalinar he again. He's in a mood. He is he in a is. mood. He is. Uh, he passes. He passes a a plant. Um, there, it's just saying like it's called shale bark. But it had no true stalks or leaves, just waving tendrils like colorful hair. Except for those shale bark seemed more rock than vegetation. And yet scholars said it might be a plant for the way it grew and reached toward the light. And then Dalinar thinks, men did that too, once. And I'm like, okay, Moby, Moby McMoperson. Just scale it back a little, dude. <laughs> and he he comes upon High Prince Roeon. Um, and they're just there looking at the maps. Um, so this gallery sounds so cool. I would like to go to here. Uh, each map is illuminated by diamonds. Their enclosures made of mirror polished steel. The maps were inked in detail onto a naturally large seamless sheets of parchment. Such parchment was obviously soul cast. Near the center of the chamber, they came to the prime map. An enormous detailed map fixed in a frame on the wall. It showed the entirety of the shattered plains that had been explored. Permanent bridges were drawn in red, and plateaus close to the Alethi side had blue glyph pairs on them, indicating which high princes controlled them. The eastern section of the map grew less detailed until the lines vanished. Because they're trying to work their way west to east. And I thought this was fascinating. The high princes buy up the plateaus. It's like Monopoly. It's like Monopoly. That's great. And so if you own if you own it, basically you get to you get to cross it first. And so that's one of the reasons Sadius is so successful is he owns so many plateaus that he can reach the chasm fiends, the pupating chasm fiends first. And so um he just perpetuates more and more successes because he's gotten ahead this way. Yep. Um, Dalinar's trying to... Dalinar's trying to approach Roeon and he's trying to unite them. He's trying to follow his dreams. <laughs> and he's trying to get an alliance with another high prince. Hey, guess what? What? He wants to work together. Like Cal wants the Bridgman to work together. But oh man, just like the Bridgman aren't really listening to Cal, the High Princes aren't really listening to Dalinar. I want uh, Kaladin and Dalinar to team up because I feel like they would feed off of each other's like positive energy. And they would be unstoppable and people would see them coming and be like, not them, please, no. Come on, Emily. What does Dalinar have to do with Kaladin's story? <laughs> <laughs> okay, non-spoilers. Emily and I were experiencing a piece of media together. And she made this wild out there prediction about a different character showing up at the end. And... 
<laughs> this is like near the beginning and I was spoiled on it and she wasn't. And so I was like going to nudge her away from this line of thinking. So I just go, what does that character even have to do with this character's story? And then when they did show up at the end, it was really exciting. I was like, I was right. I'm not right often, but when I am, I'm right. Uh, so, so Dalinar tries a couple different tactics to try and make this new alliance work. Uh, and he gives a lot of promises. And he's like, listen, if if we win shards, you get to keep the first set of shards we find. And, and um, working together is like, you know, we have very different, we have very different specialties. We could try new tactics, but... Uh, Royan has given in to the gossip and he, <sighs> he is not into what's going on. And so he leaves Dalinar in the same angry mood, calling back to what you were saying, Emily, when he was looking at the plant and being like, man, you used to grow towards the light. Dalinar has a little internal monologue. Alethkar was a light once, he thought. That's what Gavilar's book claims. That's what the visions are showing me. Noadon was king of Alethkar so long ago, in the time before the heralds left. <sighs> and so Dalinar feels that he's trying to struggle and grow towards the light, but the farther he reaches, the more distant those answers seem to become. Um, also about Dalinar, I really like the direction that he is moving with his family. Like, we know that he's the second son, and we know that he loved Gavilar and never really like begrudged him anything. You know, they had a, from what, you know, what we know, you know, being the second son is difficult, especially when you're, you know, brother to the king. Um, and he has that same thing kind of in his own family. He has a, a firstborn and a secondborn and he wants the next shard plate to go to, um, what's his name? Renarin. I, I like that he understands and wants good things for his second son, but he doesn't begrudge his firstborn, his position in life. And my, my thought was it's rare to get a character at the end of his emotional growth arc. Um, he's at the beginning of his of another growth arc, but it's just interesting to have someone who's already so emotionally stable Minus all his, you know, visions and stuff. But I mean, like, when it comes to family. (laughs) Well, it's, you and I have talked about this before, but um, something that frustrates us a lot about sequels or uh, seasons of television is sometimes fiction writers have a difficulty in keeping a character story interesting after they've worked through their first big arc. So a lot of times a sequel kind of revert everybody back to their like initial, what am I trying to say? Initial states. So like if you had a love interest and you guys were together at the beginning of the first movie, when the second movie rolls around, the love interests are fighting or they're separated or divorced already and they have to learn to fall back in love again. Um, Or if you've learned to be... If you were an overbearing parent in the first movie, uh, but then you learn to like give your kids freedom because they're on their own little cool adventure in the second movie, it's like the parents didn't learn anything and they're back to square one. And I think really, um, okay, there's a word I'm looking for. My brain won't give it to me, but well-thinking writers, not intelligent, 
creative. Oh my gosh, Megan. Wow. Okay. Creative writers will find additional ways for their characters to grow after their initial arcs have wrapped up. So like you're saying, Emily, it's clear that like Dalinar went through some stuff. He's a character with history. He's um, becoming an older guy in a society that worships war and there aren't a lot of peers that understand like where he currently is emotionally. And it's interesting that he's not still fighting the exact same emotional battles he had when he was young. And that he's, guess what? Old people still have character arcs. Old characters still have places to grow and things to learn. You don't just become Gandalf wise and never grow or change until you just bam, turn the page and suddenly you're not Gandalf the Grey anymore. You're instantly Gandalf the White. And it's, I like Dalinar. He's complex and multifaceted and has a great butt. (laughs) Is that canonical? That's canon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, Going back to like his emotional things, like he, Adolin joins him and they, this is when they have like, it's not a fight. It's a discussion. It's a, it's a heated discussion, but they listen to each other. And it was so refreshing to not just have someone storm off in the middle of their thoughts. I really enjoyed seeing Adolin get to speak to his dad and like state out his fears and Dalinar listen, you know, and cause he respects he, him. Yeah. Sorry. Dalinar respects Adolin pronoun game. Um, that's though at the, at the very beginning before they dive into deeper stuff, um, Adolin's like, uh, Adolin quotes something from the arguments. We don't know specifically what the arguments are, but from context clues, we can tell it's a religious text. Um, <laughs> oh wait, sorry. They literally say it's scripture. Context clues. It's <laughs> no, this is not subtext. This is super text. Um, <laughs> uh, is like, you're quoting scripture and Adolin shrugs. He's like. Malasha is rather religious, and earlier I was listening to it, and I was like, wait, Malasha? Who's Malasha? And he's like, daughter of Bright Lord Sevix. And that other girl, Yanala, Aelin grimaced. Things are rocky. Mal- Malasha seems like a better prospect. This boy. Oh, man. So it's like father and son seem to have the opposite problem. <laughs> where Dalinar's been obsessed with the same woman for 30 years. And Aidlin's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why don't the girls just like me? <laughs> Love you, Aidlin. Because he's such a charming young man that takes girls to leather tanneries and churches on dates. He just, he needs to find someone on his frequency. There you go. Who could it be now? oh um question when as they're as they're speaking it uh dalinar talks about how gavilar dreamed of unifying alethkar and he says once Mm -hmm. i thought he'd achieved it despite what he claimed the longer i work with these men the more i realize that gavilar was right we failed we defeated these men but we never unified them and i'm wondering if we hearken back to one of the Kaladin flashbacks where his dad's like, there's always a war or we're always fighting. I wonder if that's the war from Kaladin's childhood was the unifying of the high princes. 
you and I have gone through this timeline before, and I kind of remember having a meltdown because I couldn't keep the dates straight. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> Elokar is 26. Kaladin is 19. Did they unite? How long ago did they unite Alethkar? My eyes just got really big because I don't know. <laughs> Have they mentioned it offhandedly? See, and this is why Brandon has awesome people on his team that know the <laughs> names and dates and facts and figures. <laughs> but I'm going to... Do you want me to Google it? <laughs> no, you are not allowed to Google anything about this book. No, I'm trying to decide if I want to... I don't think the unification of Alethkar is the war from Kaladin's childhood. Okay. And it definitely wasn't whatever war Kaladin was fighting before he came to the Shattered Plains. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. Avalyn does raise voices near the near the end because, yes. like you said, they do have they do have a back and forth. They do have a respectful discussion, but these are like really difficult things. And by the end of it, um, Avalyn is kind of just yelling at his dad in the in the gallery. Like he's held back for so long, respectfully. But this is something that's very like he's not just getting worked up. He doesn't like just stirring up drama. This is something that's directly impacting him. And his family and his family's honor and therefore their position in the court. And he knows what it means that Sadius has been instituted into this new role. And he feels that his dad is not taking things seriously. That's enough, Adolin. No, no, it's not. We're mocked in every one of the war camps. Our authority and reputation diminishes by the day. And you refuse to do anything substantial about it. Adolin, I will not take this from my son. But you'll take it from everyone else? Why is that, father? When others say things about us, you let them. But when Renarin or I take the smallest step towards what you view as being inappropriate, we're immediately chastised. Everyone else can speak lies, but I can't speak the truth. Do your sons mean so little to you? Dalinar froze, looking as if he'd been slapped. You aren't well, father, Adolin continued. Part of him realized he had gone too far, that he was speaking too loudly, but it boiled out anyway. We need to stop tiptoeing around it. You need to stop making up increasingly irrational explanations to reason away your lapses. I know it's hard to accept, but sometimes people get old. Sometimes the mind stops working right. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe it's your guilt over Gavilar's death, the book, the codes, the visions. Maybe they're all attempts to find escape, find redemption, something. What you see is not real. Your life is now a rationalization, a way of trying to pretend that what's happening isn't happening. But I'll go to damnation itself before I let you drag the entire house down without speaking my mind on it. I hope this gets made into a movie or TV show someday because... I can't wait to see an actor do this scene. I love this scene. I love a lot of these scenes. <laughs> Let's be honest. All Let's of them. Be... <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, not true. I hate when Elokar makes Sadius the <laughs> position. Can we take that plot point out? <laughs> Just... Hello? Uh, Reason Dalinar can't remember his wife? Do you do house calls? 
um, reading this just made me think like that has got to be a very difficult conversation for a kid to have with a parent. Like this is just what happens, but like who wants to face that, you know? Um, so Dalinar turns him away. Like it's a conversation that needed to be had. Like that's what Adolin tells himself, but that didn't make him feel any less sick about having to be the one who said it because the oldest speaking from experience you sometimes have to do things that you definitely don't want to have to do, but you are the oldest. And so you are the one that has to do it. Um, and it's just, that's just the eldest's lot in life. Unless you're Steve from Haunting of Hill House. Uh, <laughs> Steve. Which we'll, we'll talk about in a different podcast. Steve. I like that guy. Hey, how was it being my oldest sister? You were a really good sister. I mean, you were young. I How much older am I than you? I was. You were four years older than me. <laughs> You're four years older than me. Oh, I don't know. I feel like, now that I'm thinking about, like, I have this feeling of guilt that I didn't pay enough attention to as a child. <laughs> Listen, you aren't the only one who did that. <laughs> I was very much, and I still am, like, please leave me alone in my room. I'm doing something important. And it's like writing Power Rangers fan fiction. Because <laughs> I just wanted to be left alone so I could read. So, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did that too. I still like being left alone. <laughs> Megan has been such a trooper. She was home for a few months. Because California shut down. And by the end of her her stay here at home, she was like, I'm super ready to go back and be alone again. (laughs) I'm one of those really snotty characters in a show who's like, you don't understand how hard it is to be popular. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, no one talk to me. No one look at me. I'm existing just let me exist in a bubble without... <laughs> Nobody look at me! <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Please, don't, don't, don't call me on the phone. Don't text me. Tweeting is thin ice. <laughs> <laughs> let me like... come to you. <laughs> and people are like, but you're so nice and you're so friendly. I'm like, yeah, people are awesome. I just want to be a hermit living on a mountain. (laughs) Am I the Phantom of the Opera? (laughs) Just. (laughs) Doing stuff. Weird stuff. Creative stuff alone in my cave. And then getting weirdly and inappropriately obsessed with just one or two people at a time. And wanting everyone else to just stay away. true though where's the lie (laughs) oh man murder's bad kids don't do a murder don't do a murder adolin and dalinar i love how we're talking about yeah they respect each other they listen to each other and it ends with adolin just like yelling at his father for a full page but listen i think that's good though for relationships because 
having a relationship where you never disagree on anything is obviously the dream. <laughs> but to be able to disagree with someone that you love and respect, I think is a sign of how good a relationship you have. I would agree. Thanks. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's chapters. Uh, we we met Navani. We learned about the many culinary uses of choldung, and we yelled at our dad. <laughs> dad and our. Dad and our. So now uh, I'm going to take off all the sticky notes covering up the next chapter. <laughs> and you're going to go on to, okay, no. Oh, man. I'm going to have to hire someone else to do this for you every week. Page 501 is where All right, I've covered it up. I've covered it up. Great. Whoa, Megan, we're reading like 60 pages. We're reading three chapters. Fine. It's because chapter 27 is really long. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 27 is where my copy of the book has broken its spine. (laughs) This is... Listen, Emily, I'll be straight with you. That storyboard that you've seen? Yes. That's chapter That's what we're doing? It's yes! time. Yes! So, next week, we're going to read chapter 25, The Butcher, chapter 26, Stillness, and chapter 27, Chasm Duty. Ooh. That's exciting. Listen, Emily, I know we're reading 60 pages. We read an average of 50 pages every week. Do you not realize that? I don't know. I I don't have a great memory, okay? That's why I have to take so many notes. <laughs> That's why we have to record it in a podcast format <laughs> so we can keep this experience. <gasps> I'm so excited. <laughs> That's what we got. Thanks for listening. This is really fun. Thanks for listening to just talk about the way of kings. It's really nice to do this with you, my sister. Oh, I thought you were talking to our listeners. It's really nice to do this with you, my sister. (laughs) Thanks for being a great older sister. You're welcome. I never never feel like gavel are you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I have to accept the fact that I have a creepy Fanchua the Opera sibling. Present the finished score. <laughs> hey, that's hey, a joke. I, I never you, finish did anything. I tell you about this part of my book? Yes, Megan, nineteen <gasps> times already. <laughs> I never finish anything. <laughs> you have good intentions, though. One day you will. I believe in you. Thanks. I believe in you too. We can't high five anymore. No, nope. I'll just hit the microphone. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping it. Ready? Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. Oh, sisters. Can't live with them. Can't eat anything in front of them or they make fun of you. Listen. Recipe for the fancy float. I guess there's no recipe. I gave you all the ingredients in the podcast. It is vanilla ice cream with 
ginger ale and a lot of lime juice. It's it's pretty and then you blend it up like a milkshake. It's a good drink. Try it out. Thus concludes episode nine of The Way of Kings. If you just love our sisterly banter and feel like you could use more of it in your life, great news. Emily and I are currently publishing two other podcasts. We're doing My Sister Made Me View It Roswell 1999 edition and My Sister Made Me View It Haunting of Hill House. We're almost at the tail end of that one. You can catch the next Hill House episode on Tuesday, November 2nd, and you can catch the next Roswell episode on Thursday, November 4th. And if you wait it out just one more week, you can listen to our next Way of Kings episode on Thursday, November the 11th. Special thanks to Michael Biancardi for use of his song, A Passing Storm, for our opener and closer. And I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the internet.